When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. All right. Hello, hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us, as always. Today, Luke and I are going to talk about what it takes to make a better world, changing the world for the better. What will it take to make a healthier world, a more prosperous world? And to start off with, I don't want to sound too pessimistic throughout this whole thing. Keep in mind that we are uh, wealthier and in many ways we are healthier than we ever have been. Although obviously there's big problems with what's going on right now and has been going on all throughout the 20th century and throughout industrialization. And basically there's been health problems ever since we've had agricultural societies. But we have made major progress in many different areas in the last several decades. You know, pollution is better food availability is better we've got more forests now than we used to lots of things are better but obviously there are many of us who do want a better world without the control of you know big medicine big pharma big government taxes all this 15 minute city stuff and that would be the opposite of what luke and i want here and i'm assuming most of the audience as well so we're going to cover some major categories here including food water energy taxes, raw material, transportation, all kinds of things that we need to take into account when designing a better world. And of course, before we start, just going to let you know, as always, you can find everything that I do, including all the books that I've written, the free audiobook versions of those books, hundreds of book reviews, most of them are about health, and all of my social media pages. We are most active on Instagram. We also have some YouTube accounts and so on. You can find all of that on my website, notusbooks.org. Once again, notusbooks.org. And I am in the health business. Usually I say here that you can reach out to me if you would like a free health evaluation. But I'm actually changing that as I've been shifting more effort into the podcast. And as we've gotten incredibly busy this year, 2023, it's been our busiest year ever in the health business. We've got an explosion of people who are walking away from mainstream medicine or running away from mainstream medicine and taking their health into their own hands. 
not just us, but everyone I know in this business has seen an unprecedented rise of people coming into the alternative health world for the first time. So having said that, I'm overwhelmed with people as well. And that's why I've come up with a little bit of a new system. Instead of reaching out to me directly, I do want you to reach out to one of our coaches. We've got a list of coaches on our contact page of our website, wallexwarriors.ca. That link will be in the description of this podcast or video if you're watching the video version. And on that contact page, there's a questionnaire. This is how we normally do it anyways. However you reached out to us or me, I would give you a questionnaire. You fill out the questionnaire based on those answers. We give you our best advice on what to do to get healthy. That includes food and supplements and maybe some other things that you need to know that are specific to your case. Some of those coaches have been doing this a long time, like me. Some of them are quite new to it. But either way, the system is still the same. You fill out the questionnaire. They look at it. In most cases, we start people with a digestion protocol for the first month. So most people are easy that way. And if they have any issues, they'll just come to me. If there's something they don't understand, something they've never dealt with before, they'll just bring it to me. If there's something that's above my head, I'll take it to Dr. Wallach or any of the other people that I go to when I don't know something. So just know you're in good hands. They will handle you the same way I would the same system. And they can always come to me if there's an issue. And if you do turn out to be a difficult case in some way, or you have a really serious problem, like cancer or something, you're going to be referred to me anyways. Lastly, before we start, big thank you to all our patrons. Luke, I don't know if you know, we've got a handful of patrons now. It's a big help right. because we've done this for free the whole time. I built this podcast up for over three years, and then it got taken down just when it got popular. Thank you very much, Spotify. Yeah, thank you. That whole time, there was a little bit of money coming in at the end because it, it blew up. It got over 2 million downloads. And so we got a bunch of random orders at that point. We were spending hours a day just putting in orders, which isn't the best, by the way. It's not best to just buy random products. That's why we do this coaching thing. We've always done it online where you message us. We want you to message us. We don't just say, hey, here's a random product. Here's something you should know about zinc. Oh, you should buy the zinc. We don't do it that way. We like to give you the hands-on advice and hands-on help because it will get you better results and then you'll be a better customer actually if you get the results. We're in a results-based business. Just saying there was a little bit of money coming in when the podcast was really popular, but then it got taken down and we've had to rebuild from scratch and we don't get paid for this. There's no ad revenue. Right now, the only thing we have is the patrons, which I do appreciate tremendously. And if you'd like to support this podcast directly, you can do the Patreon for as little as two bucks a month. The podcast episodes are posted there at least one week early. And there's some extra stuff on there. Lost videos, lost episodes, things that have been taken off of YouTube as well. Not very happy with YouTube either. Are all your episodes from before on this as well, Ryan? Not all of them. Some of them were lost. Some of them were only on the Spotify app. That's how Spotify was able to delete us because they bought Anchor. And I was published with Anchor. So yeah, whatever was only on Anchor, they got deleted forever. But there are a lot of episodes that I haven't posted yet. Most of them are on the Patreon or on the archive on my website. That's another thing on the website, notusbooks.org. There's an archive of these podcasts and videos mm -hmm. and stuff. And I'm slowly updating that more and more. And there's a special treat at the end of the archive episodes if you do listen there. And you can download them there for free. Once again, notusbooks.org, and you can find the Patreon link there as well. 
and that'll be in the description too. And without further ado, Luke, I think that's enough of an introduction. What do you think we need to do to make a, a healthier world, a better world, a more prosperous world? There's a lot of topics this can spin off into multiple directions. There's many di different directions that this can go into, but I think the change starts within us. And if we all change, we can all make a difference. Obviously, we are all controlled by money. We all need money. Everybody is uh, self-centered to a point. If we can all come together and agree upon the same thing, we can move in a direction that could definitely benefit the whole world, our infrastructure, our food, our environment, uh, the way we live. But it all starts with us. So we need a big change. And uh, I think our first topic is food, Ryan. Am I correct? Yeah. Okay. Well, the way our food is proce processed now obviously is not good for us. That's why we are in the alternative health business. It is hard, but it isn't at the same time to eat 100% proper uh, or what we believe to be the best for our bodies. And if we can change the way our food is made, and we didn't care so much about money, we would all live better lives. But even in saying that, the way our cities are built and everything, and the way how money operates has a huge effect on the way our food's processed. So me and you were discussing before the podcast, vertical farms, and I really like it. Like, I think that's a great idea. We also have the World Economic Forum having a huge change the way we live. So I, I'm i pretty sure that's probably going to be a big thing, vertical farms in major cities. Uh, there's huge positives to this. There's huge negatives to this. I wouldn't say huge negatives, just small negatives, but the cost is huge to start it. But uh, the positives of less transportation, uh, less climate change, if you believe in that, but I don't. And no pesticides on the food, which is huge, which we do not recommend you eat any food with pesticides on it. I do agree that it starts with us. You know, we should not be relying on anyone else to make a better world for us or to make us healthier. Definitely should not rely on the government for our health or our wealth. So it does start with us. It does start with our choice and willingness to do better, to be better, to stop the bad habits, to build a better life for ourselves, a better home for ourselves, a healthier environment. All that stuff does start with us, absolutely. But I disagree that we all need to change. You can make yourself healthier regardless if your parents or friends or neighbors, regardless if they do it or not. It's, it is up to you to do it. And many people won't do it. This is just the fact. You know, if we needed everyone to be healthy, everyone to make the good choices, everyone to agree I don't think we're going to get anywhere at all. I do think one of the important factors here, I actually wrote this down, is the two different societies that exist already. And the gap seems to be widening between them. By that, I mean the type of people that we mostly cater to in the alternative health business, the people who want to do better, healthier, have real food, you know, have uh, more real entertainment, you know, the people who are sick of all this fake stuff and, and big media, you know, with fake news stories and, you know, uh, surface level entertainment and all this stuff. People who want a more grounded life, people who want a more natural life. 
and the other side of society, which I would basically call the political class or the technocrats, the tech nerds, the people who want to be dominated by technology, the people who think that spending more time on technology is better, you know, this metaverse stuff. Oh, yeah, we can all just hang out in virtual reality instead of being in real life. I know this seems like a tangent, but I think this is really, really important. The two societies that exist already are going to continue existing, I think, and people can jump ship and, and choose to go to the other side. People can get fed up with one life and go to the other. But I think in general, there are two societies right now. The ones that want more control, more technology, you know, they want everything to be smart, meaning all of our technology talks to each other and it can be shut off remotely and monitored and all this stuff. You can be taxed on it better. The political class and the techno nerds, they're the ones who want the opposite of the world that we want. And I, I just don't see them changing their mind very often. So if anything, I do see this better world being created by the other half of society. And it's probably not 50% of people. It's probably way less than that. But it is going to be up to us, not everyone, but up to us to create the type of neighborhoods and towns and, and homes that we actually want to live in. I do agree with you, the two separate worlds. I wasn't saying everybody to change. I was just saying for the movement as in like, if they wanted to sell organic food in the grocery stores, that means everyone would buy it. That means that that's what the grocery stores would sell. We need the alternative health world to take over the political world so we can get rid of big pharma. And then basically, if there's more of us on this side than the other side, then we'll we'll get more of what we want because they're attaining to probably, and you're right. It's not 50, 50. I would say it's probably like 80, 20. Yeah. That would be my guess. So we need it over 50%. And then we will see the, the change that we would like to see to better our world. That's what I was saying. Like, I don't like, obviously everyone's different. Everyone's going to do whatever they want, but when it comes to health, man, um, it's sort of common sense. You know what I mean? Whether you believe in medicine or not, like if you look further and further and further and further into it, it's sort of evil on the political side of it. It's a lot about money. So maybe I said that wrong, but I believe that if we have the alternative health world step in and that's what all of us humans want, then we'll probably see a massive shift in change. Well, we have seen the shift already. I live in a small town and it has a pretty wicked health food section the groceries in the grocery store the grocery store is still mostly garbage mostly junk you know of course the the middle aisles of every grocery store is like 90% junk but with a very small portion of the population demanding gluten free options and organic food and whatnot it has created a large section of the grocery store honestly it's probably 5% maybe even less than that, 5% demand has created this industry. And there's a lot of shenanigans in the industry. There's a lot of companies that are just giving us products that appear to be healthy or that are just catering to us without actually really putting the effort in to be healthy. I would fault big companies like Whole Foods for this as well. I hate Whole Foods partially because it's mostly just fake health food. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's stuff that looks healthy or it's got the gluten-free label on it, but it's not really healthy. It's still basically processed junk food. It's just gluten-free. So I'm just saying with a little bit of demand, the market will provide it to us. And it already has started to do that. And when you said, you know, we need to take over the politics, well, politics and media are largely funded by pharmaceutical companies. That's not a conspiracy. It's like 85% television ad revenue comes from pharmaceuticals. So therefore, you're never going to see something on the TV that really contradicts 
deeply the pharmaceutical model. You might get one uh, rogue person now and then on the TV who speaks against it. But in general, the message is going to be pro-pharma. You're never going to see the protagonist in a hospital drama or, you know, whatever. You're never going to see any of that be a, a homeopathic doctor or a naturopathic doctor or an acupuncturist. These people are always taken down or referred to as inferior to a real doctor in quotes, right? A mainstream medical doctor who uses drugs and surgeries primarily. So I'm just saying that since the politics and the media is funded largely by pharmaceuticals, I doubt we're going to be able to take over such a corrupt system to begin with. What will happen though, and what is happening is people are just walking away from it and people will continue to get bad results from mainstream medicine. You know, they've made certain progress in certain areas and they'll, they'll save your life if you get hit by a car or shot by a bullet or you have flesh eating disease or something like that. But in general, people are walking away from it and that is taking power away from it. And as pharmaceutical medicine continues to kill its customers and we've got this generation growing up, our generation, the millennials and the ones now, Gen Z, they're just going to look and see how bad their parents did. Right. My parents, they got screwed by the medical world. They were not in good health. I had to come in and help them out in my 20s. Like, what am I doing here trying to help my parents? Because society failed them so largely. And society largely is. It's a pharmaceutical based society. Mm -hmm. So our generation sees this and we have a huge customer base, growing customer base in millennials and Gen Z people. And of course, older people who have already been butchered by the medical system. They, they finally realized that that's not the way to go. But our generation can very clearly look at what happened to our parents and grandparents. You know, do we want to end up senile in a nursing home with both of our hips replaced and cataracts and all, you know, this long list of health problems, this long list of pharmaceutical drugs? We can see exactly what's going to happen to us if we listen to the medical model like they did. So uh, we have less faith in it. Faith in government is at an all time low right now. Well, their actions have spoken for themselves. I think everyone sort of of what's happened the last three years is sort of like very like I don't know, man. And you know what? The knowledge at our fingertips now of what we're what what we have access to is a lot different than when our parents are growing up. So you'd have to actively go out and find this information of what we're discussing today, where me and you can look up thousand pieces of information within a whole hour. Like just what's available. I know there's a lot of BS to sift through, but you sort of feel it in your gut if it's right or wrong. I actually wanted to discuss as you got further into this. I know this is off the topic. I I believe the the government brought in the plant based movement, but I don't see that thriving at all, and that's pushed through uh, pharmaceutical as well and medical doctors, plant based food. I don't see that selling or doing well at all. It was a thing for like maybe a year. And now I think it just sits on shelves. Well, it was a pretty large thing for more than a year, but yeah, it's definitely. No, I mean like the big movement, the big movement, like mm -hmm. like they had some documentaries together. Everyone's like, I'm doing it. If you're doing it, I'm doing it. Most people are followers, not leaders. Come up with a few documentaries, whatever you want to believe is fine. But I thought it was a big push by the government and basically to tell people, don't eat meat. Yeah, definitely was. And governments in the World Economic Forum, World Health Organization, they still are pushing it. They want us to, to be plant-based. And we can we can talk about that too. I just wanted to bring up this chart here. Yeah. The audio people listening, this chart is from the Pew Research Organization. I brought this up on a recent podcast as well, where faith in government is at an all-time low right now. It's never been lower. 
It's at a 16% rate for all races in America. And of course, these are just polls. You know, this is not 100% accurate, but there's a definite trend of decreasing government trust. And that's good. So only 16% of people actually trust the government. Those 16% of people, which I was talking about the two societies earlier, those 16% of people are doomed. If they continue to trust the government, they're doomed. So the rest of us, the 84% of people who don't trust the government, I think are open to these concepts of doing better and growing more of our own food and you know whatever we need to do to get away from what we've been doing. We want to do the opposite of it. And this trend has been happening for a long, long, long time. I see, see those ups and downs, Ryan. Mm-hmm. So I think every time those ups and downs, the government's doing something for them as in stealing their hearts with money. Obviously, there's something it's very much declining. And uh, it looks like this year to uh, after 2020. So yeah, and it actually peaked a little bit. It went up a bit in uh, in 2020. So, but that was the time when everyone's getting paid stimulus money to be off work. Yeah, true. And then it went up in 2001 as well. George Bush Jr. Yeah. after he... Our saviors. Yeah, basically. Yeah, okay. We're going to save you from the terrorists. Okay, so people trusted yeah. government more at that point. Uh, yeah. Between 55, 54, and 60% for the different races. But yeah, now it's down at 16% for everyone, which I think is very, very telling. Everyone is is basically uh, fed up with this. 100%. So the plant-based oh, You know what, man? It's it's nice to see that grab. I just feel like everyone's so silent right now that like people are afraid to speak their mind about stuff. So even I know my side of the family uh, believes in, in, in trusts what our leaders say and they follow it so much to a T. But I know they think in their head like some of this is absolute garbage. I was the black sheep of my th- family because I thought differently than everybody else. But now you can tell people that started following the government or anything that politics say or do or whatever and medicine and that, and now they're sort of thing you can tell they're like, they're spinning their wheels. They're like, this is super shysty. Like there's some weird stuff going on in the world. And actually I started thinking this way when you brought longevity to my lap and it changed my whole life. Cause I don't think I'd be alive today. If me and you never reunited after high school, to be quite honest with you. And after you got me involved in longevity, Dr. Wallach, all this information, I started to think differently. And I'm like, wow, it's all about money. It's all about money and control. I'm like, this is disgusting. It's evil. So I know we're talking about the food, the vertical farming. Yeah, let's shift Talk into about this. positive and negatives on that. Well, first, let's hit the plant based thing. There is a lot of good points in the plant based movement. I was vegetarian for a while and then vegan largely because I saw some of those documentaries. This is back in 2010, 2011. I saw things like Food Inc. and, you know, other slaughterhouse documentaries and stuff and and, uh, factory farms. I grew up in the city suburbs, right? So I never saw a factory farm. I don't think I ever saw a farm at that point in my life. I'm 20, 21 years old at that point in my life. Never saw a farm, didn't know what this was, didn't know how food got to our table. But when I started seeing these documentaries, like, wow, this food system is gross, and it wasn't based on health. It was a political decision. I decided to eat less meat or eat no meat for a while and eat no animal products for a while is because of the industry. And the industry still is by and large bad. But there is there is good farmers now. I know more. But there's also the fact that the longest of populations, by and large, do eat a lot of plants. 
Some of them eat more animals, whatever, but they're not the longest lived populations. I'm talking about famously like the Eskimos and the Maasai in Africa. They are mostly carnivore. The carnivore movement uses those examples to make a lot of their case. But if you look at most of the blue zones or all the blue zones, you know, the, the Hunza people, the Georgians, the Okinawans, the people in Nicoya Peninsula, Costa Rica, the Loma Linda, California, Seventh-day Adventist population, and and more, the, the Sardinians and all this stuff. They do eat lots of plants. They're not vegans, but they do eat lots of plants. So I think there is something to that. We do need to eat more plants. Plants are good for us. And plants are also very expensive. And they require a lot of pesticides when we grow them on depleted soils. And we can get into soil depletion. That problem is not going to go away. Unless we massively shift some things, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. But you brought up vertical farming. Now, around that same time, 2010, 2011, I was learning about vertical farming. And a great book came out that year. It's called The Vertical Farm by Dr. Dixon Despommier. Despommier? Despommier? And I must have read that when it first came out, October 2011. It must have been brand new to me. And I honestly thought that that was going to fully happen. Why? Because it made so much sense. You know, he laid out the case here that this is more efficient. It allows for conservation of space so you can grow more food in less space, resulting in a higher crop yield per square foot of land. Right? They're located indoors, such as a warehouse where they have the ability to control the environmental conditions so you can grow in the winter. Do you think the government would be on board with this or because it's too good for us, they probably wouldn't be? Because I think this would, this would help a lot. Well, I think... Uh, both. I think the government is on board with it, but not because it's too good for us. It's because it can be controlled by mega corporations. So for the audio listeners, if you look at vertical farming, you just type this into Google, like I did just now, vertical farms. A lot of this concept is you're literally growing it vertical in tubes so that you only need to put water in the top and it trickles down into all of them. And this is a very common thing, even for just small scale indoor growing it's not always vertical, but this idea of using mist or aeroponics right, or standard hydroponics, which have been around for many decades, it is a very efficient way to grow food. The only thing I heard that was bad about this is uh, growing uh, wheat and corn efficiently. I don't know if that's really... Uh... Well, we don't want to eat wheat in general. That's on our bad list. No, I know. That's what I'm saying. But a lot of people depend on that. At our house in Canada... Right now, until they, until they have their uh, new alternative movement where they come to our side yeah well yeah growing corn would be tough and it's a big plant you know this is more efficient for smaller plants like yeah. lettuce and spinach and, and tomatoes and berries and at home we have a little aeroponic herb garden that you plug in and it's got i think led lights on it i'm not a fan of led lights but hey this little device here i think it costs like 80 bucks i'm looking here on on Google and some of these are as low as 80 bucks. And I'm pretty sure that's like exactly the one that we have. I think uh, chef Norman got it for a Christmas gift last year and it works so well that actually the plants have grown beyond the lights. You, you can raise the light up a few feet and they've grown beyond it. Like they, they grew like crazy. And even the other plants in our house, because we live in Canada and it gets dark and cold much of the year. I'm about to go back there right now and it's winter there right now. So just keeping them by the window isn't good enough and they might freeze through the window as well. We have to winterize the windows and stuff. 
just saying there's not enough light even in the backyard and stuff there's not enough light for a lot of plants to grow so we put our other plants like on the floor where our little herb garden is sitting on the windowsill and so we put the other ones on the floor and they're doing so well they're all crowding around it going towards the light and so even the regular plants that are not aeroponic they're just loving that 18 hour light or whatever we set it to 18 hour 20 hour light i don't know it's on all that the time water too does that does that also deliver water to the plant as well yeah you have to fill up the water and then it mists the roots constantly basically okay you do have to fill up the water manually but Back when I was reading The Vertical Farm, you know, in 2011, the book, I pictured that this would not only be done on large scale in cities, and it is, by the way, I'll bring that up in a minute. I pictured uh, devices, like appliances, like a fridge, like a refrigerator in everyone's house. So not just a little herb garden on the windowsill, but like a full-blown refrigerator that was temperature controlled and yeah you put nutrients in the system too this it won't grow just with water you have to put nutrients in the system and we could put our minerals in there as well and watch what happens too but yeah i pictured that every house would have basically something like this which for the audio people it looks like the size of a refrigerator it's got one two three four different levels and some of them have been designed on rotating racks as well so it's like a cylinder that rotates around or a couple of cylinders that rotate around so that you get more even light distribution because these plants grow so well under these lights that they'll crowd out the other plants. So if it rotates around, you know, you would get more exposure. But yeah, I was picturing everyone would have something like this, a refrigerator basically that is a grow tank for all your plants or for much of your produce. We should mention here that plants are healthiest when they're picked immediately in general general rule here that the sooner you eat a plant after it's been picked the healthier it is things expire you know nutrients change the older it is and they lose 50 50 that's what i was told through transportation they lose 50 percent of the nutrients through travel and then to the grocery store and we also lose about 50 percent of total by the way of harvest total harvest we lose about 50 percent by the time it makes it to the grocery store and or by the time it gets sold, I think I can't remember which one it is, because a lot goes rotten in the grocery store. They don't sell it. They have incinerators in the back and they just dump the food in there. Some places still just throw them in a dumpster in the back. But yeah, there's about a 50 percent loss when it comes to produce in general. That is just some of it's lost in transport. Some of it's lost in harvest. And a lot of it is lost also before it gets actually sold. So all of those losses, you know, we could bring it down to like a five percent loss one percent loss if we grew things closer to home and cut out the transportation cut out the grocery stores because if you have this appliance and by the way i'm looking at one of these on aliexpress which i do not trust but they're able to sell it for under 450 bucks which it's probably a piece of junk because it's on aliexpress but i imagine that similar devices could be made let's let's be realistic for a good refrigerator size indoor grow system that can grow multiple different plants under 2000 bucks which is about the, the cost of a regular refrigerator a good refrigerator we were looking at a refrigerator for about 500 bucks recently but it's not the best one and it's a very simple one so let's say 2000 bucks to be able to grow all your own produce if you start doing the math on that and you're trying to feed a family lots of healthy food this is a very good deal because 
in less than a year, I think you're going to pay it off basically with the equivalent of savings from your grocery bills. And some of these are quite primitive. Some of these rely on natural light. Again, I'm thinking worldwide here. So I am thinking artificial lights just because like, I know in my house, we cannot do it with natural light all the way around year round. It's too dark. It's too cold. That's another topic too, Ryan, is that um, <clears throat> the negative effects of it is it's very costly. So you need some form of uh, renewable energy. So it's cost effective for you. That is an issue. The energy thing is an issue. And that is one of the major things that we're talking about here when it comes to designing a better world. Now, the cost effect for renewable energy, like I think you would automatically save through transportation because uh, like I was talking before in that video, the average uh, travel from farming to grocery store is about, I think it was 13 or 1500 miles. So you got to imagine how much money you're spending to transport these goods, where I think that would even up the cost for the electricity used. But still, it would be better to have renewable energy like solar panels to uh, lessen your costs. Now, this is for a big, big corporation, obviously, that's that's providing all these vertical farms. But for your in-home use, what lights did you say they were using? LED lights? I so, think our one is, yeah, it's using LED lights. Those light bulbs don't burn out for like 20,000 hours. And they are sort of cost effective. So it's not going to, it's how much... Uh, I guess your delivery cost is to your house. So yeah, you'd probably save on both ends, to be honest, because you can always keep growing the food, right? You're not going out purchasing the food for an, for uh, a ridiculous amount of money. It's just your initial investment. And yeah, you'd probably pay it off in a good amount of time as long as they keep utilities low. And the food is the healthiest it can be. Just once again, I know it would be better in a nice fertile soil with you know all the good bacteria and and microbes in the soil that help to digest nutrients for the plants and all this stuff but we can still supply good nutrients to the food we don't have to just supply these standard little mixes they give you with the uh with the product they just send you little fertilizer packages or a little bottle of liquid fertilizer and you, you pop a little cap in every now and then and it's automatic it tells you like even our little cheap one tells you hey you need more fertilizer okay pops them in and we put minerals in that as well. We put our plant-derived minerals in that as well, just a little bit. And it's very nice, so and easy that it tells you what to do. It, it tells you when it needs water. And I'm sure it could be hooked up to a, an automatic feed anyways to even take that part out of it. And it tells you when it needs nutrients. And it would be very easy to automate the different specs that you need for different plants. And they're not very much different. You can grow, I think most plants will grow just about the same in these same conditions so you don't need to know very much to grow it. Whereas gardening itself, you do need to know more. You need to weed the plants. You know, you need to look after the plants just a lot more. So I'm not saying that it's better than soil growing, but it can definitely come in year round, first of all. And it can be done by a complete total amateur in an apartment building, right? This refrigerator appliance that I'm talking about, that can be done in a bachelor apartment, just like you have a fridge already. Think about it too. You might not need as big of a fridge. Up north in Canada, we live out of a mini fridge. It's just Chef Norman and us. We have a mini fridge, but we also have a big freezer. We have a full-size freezer because we don't use the fridge that much. And if you had fresh produce growing in another appliance, you wouldn't need to put that much in the fridge. And in my opinion, the fridge, I, I would have to look at the numbers, but I'm pretty sure the fridge takes a lot more energy than our vertical farming unit, especially one that's run on LEDs 
and water pressure, like we put, we manually put the water in and there's a little motor that sprays it. Doesn't take that much electricity, but it could be even less if it was done on water pressure alone, just like our water filters. You know, I have a reverse osmosis filter. It doesn't plug in. It just feeds itself from the water pressure in the tap. And I don't see any reason why that couldn't be done for a refrigerator size appliance. Basically, it could run and on what is water the pressure. What is the time, Ryan? Like how much time do you have to involve yourself doing this? Almost none. We planted- besides putting the seed, putting the seeds in, obviously the base, whatever. Is the base the same as vertical farming or do you actually add soil to this? Well, this isn't actually vertical. The one that we have isn't vertical. It There's a water basin and uh, misters in there. But it's, so it's they're not, of, yeah, it's so it's aeroponic. And there are designs that do work in a more vertical format, like where they're being fed from the top and the water is yeah. trickling down and they're planted in tubes, basically with holes cut out of them. There are those designs. They take up more space. The one we have on our windowsill is just one little unit. So it's just one little tray. And I think we grow about six, seven, eight different herbs at once. And within a few weeks, we had some edible herbs there. I know that's just herbs, but herbs are also very healthy. They have their medicinal value as well, right? They've got lots of compounds in them. Science hasn't even really figured out. They've got antioxidants in them. They're the number one way to flavor our foods and put more nutrients into our foods. I'm talking about herbs and spices here. You know, a lot of the reliance that we have on these garbage processed sauces and stuff in, in the modern world is because we're not using enough herbs and spices. And much of the herbs and spices we have available are not even very potent anymore. They don't taste like very much. You know, you could put tons and tons of turmeric on your food and it hardly tastes like anything. It's because it's being grown largely in barren soils. And I actually will blame hydroponics for a lot of this as well, because we are growing a lot of stuff hydroponically and not putting enough nutrients in there so that the food, the herb, the spice itself doesn't have much nutritional value still. That could be changed. That's just an industry thing. The industries still, whether it's vertical farming or regular farming, they get paid on bushels per acre, right? They get paid on output quantity. They don't get paid for quality, really. So that could change. That's no problem. But yeah, where are you getting? Uh, where are you getting your seeds from, then when you're growing on <clears throat> all your herbs? In this case, the little garden came with some seeds, but you could put any seeds in there, and it sits in a little cup, and then just it starts growing. That's why we. I think we're always going to have to supplement, anyways, no matter what. I do as well. I'm just saying we can put more nutrients into the system so that the plants themselves are healthier. You know, the tomatoes or whatever, they taste better. They have a higher BRICS score, B-R-I-X, which is basically a measure of the sugar in a fruit or whatever. And mm. that's also correlated with the amount of vitamins and nutrients that it has in it, antioxidants, because it, when it's producing more plant sugar, it's also producing more nutrients. We also have a lot of questions in the DMs because people don't want to supplement. They want to eat whole foods. And I think it should be said that you need to supplement. It should. And I do think we need to do both, though. You know, this is two parts of the equation. Yes, but you need to supplement. You can't just eat whole foods. I agree. I like, do that's agree. pretty much what I'm saying. Because like you, there's even my wife was telling me like a lot of like people just want to eat. They don't want to supplement. They just want to eat. Like, what can I what can I eat? To get all my nutrients. I'm like, well, that's not happening. Yeah, you can't. And we can talk about that a little bit as well. Yeah. So you were talking about why we can't get enough nutrients from food. And I, I think we should cover this just a little bit. 
I've gone into this in other podcasts, so this is a very brief recap. You have to listen to other podcast episodes and whatnot to get more information. The longest of populations, whether we're talking about the Hunza or the Georgians or Azerbaijanis or the Sardinians or the Okinawans or the Nicoya Peninsula in Costa Rica, they all eat completely different things. There's very little overlap in the foods that they actually eat. So it's not the foods themselves that are giving them the nutrients. If nutrients aren't in the soil, they're not in the food. So these locations just happen to live in places where they can get more nutrients. Recently on my podcast, I put up what I think is the most important episode I've ever done. It's on nutrition and physical degeneration. It's a three-hour episode. And in it, I talk about this very famous book, Nutrition and Physical Degeneration, which was Weston Price, a dentist. He went around the world in the 1920s and 30s looking for people without cavities. But what he found was that people who didn't have cavities also didn't really have health problems to speak of either. So he found populations all over the world. And what he found was that there was two major categories of people. Those that subsisted on real dairy and those that subsisted on seafood, largely. All of these populations incorporated organs. They ate organs, they ate the eyes, they ate the brain, they ate connective tissue. Whether they were land or sea-based populations, they utilized the whole animal. They ate the bones, they ground the bones up after, they used the bones as fertilizer, they used it like flour. He did not mention wood ashes, but I will. This is another one of the ways that people put minerals into their food. Most of the essential nutrients are minerals. Two-thirds of them are minerals. Plants make vitamins. They make amino acids. They make antioxidants and other special plant compounds, but they can't make minerals. Again, if minerals aren't in the soil, they're not in the food. So if we don't live in a place that has all the minerals in the soil, such as areas like where we grew up, Luke, around the Great Lakes, there's very little nutrients there, especially key nutrients like selenium depleted in selenium, low in iodine, and other key nutrients, other key minerals. Minerals are not distributed equally around the world. Most of them appear in veins. And if we grow on soils and the plants suck up those minerals, and then we take those plants to the city and feed the city, you know, and then the waste goes into the water system and out into the ocean many times, those minerals are gone. You take them out of the topsoil, they're gone. The way that most civilizations were built was on a floodplain. And here in this discussion of how to make a better world, I think this is one of the things worth bringing up because energy is another major category here. Well, to get energy, one of the things we did was dam about a million rivers in the world. Basically, all the most important rivers in the world have been dammed. So they no longer flood anymore. And when they used to flood yearly, they used to flood with not just water, but mud and silt and clay, minerals. So you would get renewed minerals in the flood basin, which is, again, where we did the growing. Think of the Nile River. Think of the Mississippi River, the Colorado River. When these things flooded every year, they would renew the minerals in the soils around them. And this is why populations sprung up around these places, floodplains. So we dam the rivers to get electricity, and we no longer have flooding anymore. So there's nothing putting the minerals back in. Talking about transporting food, it would be more energy to transport minerals back onto these soils. It really can't be done efficiently. We should grow along the floodplains and at the basins of mountains and stuff where you know rivers could even be diverted and such, just like the Hunza people do it, where they grow on these big terraces and they funnel water throughout all of them and they trickle down. It's kind of like vertical farming. But on a 45 degree angle. Yeah, well, they're diverting snow melt, basically. It's little canals that 
nourish all of these plots. So I'm just saying that can't be done on the plains of North America. It, it just can't. We can't put minerals back into the soil. Not that I know of. I don't mean to be dismissive. Just saying that's not the way we're going to do it. We have to grow on floodplains or in these very few special places that have more minerals in them, like volcanic soils. Or we mine those minerals like we do for supplements. We have a big mine on top of a mountain in Utah, which is like a 20-foot tall deposit of humic shale, which is ancient sea moss, desiccated sea moss. We mine that out and filter it. And it looks kind of like rock, but it's not. It breaks up in your hand. It's full of minerals. It's got at least 77 minerals in it, just like Irish sea moss and whatever. This is ancient sea moss. That can be mined and we can use that. It's fairly lightweight as well. We can use that. It's very concentrated, very dense. We can use that to grow our food, whether we're talking about traditional gardening or aeroponics. And we do sell this stuff as a fertilizer. We sell it in liquid form and in powder form. And it does work very, very well. That gives more minerals to your food. And again, the plants, once they have enough minerals, they're going to produce more vitamins, more amino acids, more antioxidants, etc., more plant compounds, carbon compounds, but they need the minerals to be supported. And that's what's being taken out of our soils. So the other thing that the damming did is it took us away from wood. I'm not saying that we should go back completely to wood, but all these primitive populations who live a long time, like I covered in Nutrition and Physical Degeneration, Weston Price did not mention it, but I'm mentioning it, that they used wood as their primary fuel for cooking and heating. And when they were burning wood or sea moss or rice straw or whatever, they burned everything that they could. They burned manure, they burned grass and leaves and all kinds of stuff. And the resulting ash is concentrated plant-derived minerals. Plant sucks up the minerals. It turns them from rocks into a tiny colloidal form. Yeah, we could do all this, but like, once again, like we live in a fast paced world and everyone wants to make money. So if it weren't for money, it'd be a little different. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, I said that earlier that agriculture in general and the food system in general is geared towards quantity, not quality. So it's up to us, the other half of society that wants quality to take these things into consideration. The longest of people, they eat all kinds of different things. I was saying that earlier, the Huns of people eat a completely different diet than the Sardinians, who eat a completely different diet from the Okinawans or the Nicoya Peninsula. So it's not the food, it's the nutrients in the food. Now, seafood happens to have the most nutrients in it, basically. It's the easiest way to get all the minerals because all the minerals are in seawater. So anything that grows in the sea, whether it's sea, seaweed, sea moss, algae, crustaceans, fish, all of that has more and more nutrients each step up the food chain because there is a trace amount of all the minerals in seawater. So anything that grows in it has roughly 10 times the amount. This is called biomagnification or bioaccumulation. So whatever parts per million of minerals is in the water, there's 10 times more roughly in the zooplankton and phytoplankton. Then there's 10 times more roughly in whatever eats the zooplankton. Then there's 10 times more in the fish that eats them and, and so on up the food chain. And this can get problematic when you go to the top of the food chain, like sharks and tuna and swordfish, because they have higher concentrations of the problematic elements like mercury, right? There's a tiny bit of mercury in all seawater. It concentrates up the food chain. So I do think one of the, our big things that we should do is eat more things lower on the food chain, smaller animals. And we're going to get there. But my point here is that we can't just farm organic and fix the world. It, that's not going to work because you need minerals in the soil. It doesn't matter whether it's organic or not. 
organic doesn't put more minerals in the soil. And if you're farming on flat land plains and taking the food away after, you're taking the topsoil minerals away as well. You cannot get around that just by having organic food. Pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. So the main ways that they put more nutrients into their food, first of all, growing on floodplains or living from the sea primarily. Second of all, using ash because ash is concentrated plant-derived minerals. They would use that in their food as a condiment and a thickener. They'd use it much like we use flour today. Flour is hard to produce, hard to grow, hard to mill. So they would, if they were using flour, they would use a little bit of it that would be hand-milled or milled by like an ox traveling around a, a milling stone, or they would have one mill set up on a river and the whole community would use it. I'm just saying it's a lot of effort to grow the types of plants that you need for flour, and then it's even more effort to mill the flour so they would use things that they have, such as ash and bone meal. And these are key for fertilizers as well. The main components of fertilizer, nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. Well, guess where you can get those things in the natural way? Potassium is named after potash. Just been talking about ash, potash. So ash is an excellent form source of potassium. Phosphorus, you get it from bone meal. And you get other minerals in bones as well. Bones are largely tricalcium phosphate, calcium and phosphorus, and other minerals. But phosphorus, talking about the three main components of fertilizer here, nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. Ash and bone, okay, we've got two of them. Next one is nitrogen. Nitrogen, the best natural source, is manure. These are ancient fertilizers. This has been done forever, since the dawn of agriculture. And all the longest of the populations still do this. They use manure, they use ash, they use bones. They eat the ash and the bones themselves and incorporate them into their diets. And they also put them back into their soils. They have massive compost heaps. Sometimes the compost heap can be taller than the house. And they go and they rake that into the soils after the flooding. So the floods have come with more minerals. And then they put more organic material on top of it. Again, the manure and the food scraps and bones and ash. All this stuff goes into the soil as well. So it's a living soil. This can be done on a homestead. It just really cannot be done in mass scale commercial farming you were talking about how money has influenced the food system and this is one of the things it's done it's concentrated a lot of our growing into just a few mega corporations and you see feedlots i've driven across america many times you can smell a feedlot from miles away it's gross you can see them standing in their own waste you know up to their knees sometimes and this is not a way to produce healthy animals. So this is why they have to give them antibiotics and other stuff, steroid hormones. I know this is banned in a lot of places, but still, it's very hard to produce healthy animals in these conditions. And this is what money has really done to agriculture. And a lot of farmers don't feel that they have a choice. I would argue that they do have a choice. They can serve us, the, the part of society that wants healthy food. They can sell to us and we're willing to pay a premium for it already. We pay a lot for organic food already. Pay a lot for food already. Yeah, prices are going up and up. And I do like think it doesn't that matter. Everyone's just being self-centered and doesn't want like no one cares, right? That's what I'm saying. I think there's no long-term thinking here. Everything is like now I need it now, right now, doesn't matter. Everyone's looking out for themselves. Well, once people do understand that better food makes better humans and healthier babies and all this stuff, I do think well, I know many of us have made the choice to go for quality over quantity. And I do think that trend is going to continue. Again, we're seeing this massive surge of people 
who are buying organic food, gluten-free food, who are coming to us for supplement advice and who are walking away from whatever the government says we need to do. One of the ways I think we fix some of these problems, first of all, is growing more stuff ourselves, not just vertical farming in the home and small appliances that can be put in our home. But this is also be done, being done on a larger scale as well, Luke. You know, I thought back in 2011 that this would, by now, 2023, I thought this would be totally normal, but it's still a niche thing. I have a friend in the Toronto area. He has a big warehouse where they do this. They, they have a big vertical farming operation and they're mostly focused on arugula and some other cash crops, you know, lettuce based things, the ones that cost the most, whatever leaves cost the most because they can be produced the cheapest. They're not producing like tomatoes or, you know, berries or anything. It can be done. It's just less effort to grow these leafy things. And in the grocery stores in the Toronto area, you will actually see his products. You'll see his company. And so it is being done right now. Not just that one example. There are several companies. They do take several millions of dollars of investment to get these bigger operations running. But that is possible for cities to supply a lot of their produce. It doesn't need to come from the country. We can mine the minerals and bring them in to fertilize. We can use more natural sources of fertilizers, whatever. But this is being done and it can be expanded. It can be done at home. It can be done in an apartment. It can be done in cities on a larger scale. And also, I want to add to this that um, AI is going to be a big contributor towards this because they're going to actually be able to do this with robots at a way faster pace. They can test all the stuff. They can move all the stuff. They can plan all the stuff. They can pick all the stuff without any humans being involved. And you can all be taking control from a program on the cloud. Like that was another thing that was I was watching on the video as well. So... I'm actually working at a place that produces 67% of the robots globally. It's called Funuk Robotics, and I'm doing a renovation for them. And they provide all these one-arm oscillating robots that work in all the car manufacturing facilities or uh, magma or all these places that require um, robots. And it is absolutely wild how they program them. And these robots have zero downtime. So I know that's a big cost, but super profitable if you have the money yeah and look i'm not as against it as some of our audience will be you know having all these uh systems on sensors and everything to determine the nutrient levels and all this stuff and we're yeah okay we we detect hey nitrogen's low and then it automatically adds some more nitrogen like that's it makes sense for me yeah i think it's always going to be better doing it in a, a garden situation but talking about for the masses here to feed millions upon millions of people getting rid of the transportation costs, getting rid of the problems with soil-based agriculture. This can be done, and this doesn't have to be done by mega corporations. It can be done with medium-sized companies as well, and even small companies, because these aren't feedlot situations. This can be scaled up quite easily, and it can be done in a small location too. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. So now let's talk about small animals. Because one of the things, if you look at nutrition and physical degeneration, the study of longest lived people, the healthiest people, they do not rely on large animals all the time. Some of them do, you know, they catch a caribou, they catch a whale or whatever. They slaughter a cow now and then or a pig. But for the most part, I said, they're either dairy or seafood based cultures. And so they want to keep their cows and goats alive to milk them and use the raw milk to make cheeses and so on. They don't want to slaughter them all the time. They don't slaughter them all the time. Where I lived for a while in Nicoya Peninsula, Costa Rica, one of the blue zones, they have their cheese every day with, with every meal. They rarely have meat. They will have fish. We live by the sea. We will have fish. But primarily it was the dairy. We weren't slaughtering a cow every day. Definitely not. It wasn't meat every week. Definitely not. If anything, fish was maybe once a day for the wealthier people and closer to every couple of days, every two, three days for most people. So I think we put way too much emphasis on muscle meat. That's what we call meat. It's it's muscle. Whereas the longest of populations and the healthiest populations have always prioritize the organs, the connective tissue, the bones, they eat the whole animal. That's how the nutrients are balanced as well. And this is true for large carnivore animals as well. A bear doesn't catch a caribou every day. A pack of wolves, they don't take down a moose every day. They'll eat a lot of smaller animals. They'll eat rabbits. They'll eat small birds. They'll eat eggs when they come across them. They'll eat squirrels. Smaller animals, they're easier to catch. They're easier to eat the whole thing to get more balanced nutrition from it. So we put so much emphasis on cows and pigs and to a lesser extent goats and stuff. Meanwhile, these are very, very difficult to deal with. I was looking up here, how much space does it take for one cow? And one cow here, Google tells me, might require as much as eight acres on poor quality pasture or, or as little as a third of an acre on an irrigated pasture in excellent condition, which is a rare commodity here. So as much as eight acres, let's call it an acre. That's a ton of land. And if you've ever had to feed goats or something, it's a lot of work. They need hay. They need bedding. They, they poop a lot. They pee a lot. That needs to be raked out and cleaned a lot. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of material. They eat so much. They can't eat fresh pasture all winter. You've got to supply that for them. It's just so much work to handle these big animals, these big ruminant animals with four stomachs or even ones with one stomach like a horse. It's just it's a luxury item, a horse, basically, because it costs so much to feed them, to house them, and it's so much work to take care of them. So it's a very inefficient way for us to base our food system on animals that have to eat so much in order to get their nutrition. Think all these big animals, they have huge stomachs, even a moose, an elephant, they have huge stomachs. They have to eat huge amount of produce to turn it into their nutrients. They have these big, their stomachs are big vats, basically full of bacteria and protozoa and stuff that break down these uh, fibers, plant fibers, cellulose, stuff that's hardly digestible at all. We can't digest most of it. You know, we say oats are for goats. We can't digest them properly. 
A goat can because it has four stomachs, and those stomachs, especially the rumen, it's big, it's huge, it's a vat full of bacteria to break all this stuff down. I'm just saying that's why they need so much space, they need so much acreage, they need so much raw food, because that food is very inefficiently turned into an animal. It's very inefficiently turned into muscle, organ, to build a thousand pound cow or a 2000 pound bull. It just requires so much food to put into it. It's a very inefficient system. But you're feeding the masses, right? So how many small animals do you have to take down to feed all these people? We live in U.S. and Canada, so we're not out making, growing our own food. We're all, we're all shopping at the grocery store. You know what I mean? No one has time for that. So what do you think that we could do to eat these small animals? I think that's why they have so many cows. I know it's a lot of work, but a thousand pound cow can feed a lot of people can feed a family for like six months absolutely true but we're talking about things that could be done in a city right now can be done in an apartment even can be done in small businesses well a small butchery like think of a feedlot the size of a feedlot or the size of a farm it's huge if that farm was farming guinea pigs or rabbits or other small creatures it could be done in the size of a shop or a little pet store that has a few colonies of guinea pigs. Yeah, it does take more guinea pigs to feed a family, but it's no more effort. It's less effort. It's a lot less effort to really even yeah. to skin them all and eat them. And you know what I mean? Use everything. Like I get it. Like a few of my buddies hunt. It is quite a bit of work when you kill a bear. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Like it, it is, it, and it is an expensive hobby. It's not cheap. If you're a hunter. Well, that's hunting. I'm talking about, having your own guinea pigs in in a cage and by the way the peruvians they, they ate guinea pigs for a long time some of them would they'd bury their guinea pigs with their dead you know they'd mummify their guinea pigs sometimes and stuff it's a sacred food and uh it's one of the foods that uh, concentrates i believe vitamin d the most effectively as well one of the animals that does and just like us they don't make vitamin c but any, anyways i'm saying that there's a lot more balanced nutrition when you eat the entire animal and it's a lot easier to eat the entire animal when it's a small animal and we have bylaws that I don't think we're going to change. You can't have chickens in most cities. You can't have a goat. You can't have a cow. Even in my little town, I live in the middle of nowhere. There's still bylaws. We're not allowed to have farm animals in town. Chef Norman had a pig for a while, and I was about yeah. to kill it. I was so annoyed by it. But the animal control people made us get rid of it anyways, because you're not allowed to have a pig in town. And everyone knew we had it. It makes a lot of noise. So, I was, that's why I was very annoyed with it. It makes a lot of noise. But so even just us having one pig in our house, not an apartment, it was still, it's too much. Get, get rid of this thing. Chickens are relatively easy, but not so much. You can't have chickens in, inside your house. They do need to be outdoors. So you need at least a yard to have them in and you need to protect them from foxes and stuff like that. Well, a guinea pig doesn't need any of that. A guinea pig and a rabbit, those would be two on the top of my list because I've never eaten a guinea pig, but apparently they don't taste bad. Rabbit doesn't taste bad at all. Easy to eat the organs and eat them raw. Raw. This is another thing. There's more enzymes. There's more nutrients in the food when it's raw, with only a few exceptions. There's some cases where you cook like leafy vegetables and put a fat on them, and the fat-soluble vitamins are more absorbable. But in most cases, there's more nutrients when it's raw. And enzymes are destroyed at low temperature, like 170 Fahrenheit. So... Basically, any cooking temperature is going to destroy most of the enzymes. Enzymes are what do work in our body. We need nutrients 
course, but a lot of the reason we need nutrients is because enzymes need nutrients to work. So a lack of enzymes is a big problem here. And eating more raw foods is one of the ways to combat that. Now, if we were growing our stuff in the vertical farm thing at home or in the, the refrigerator unit or growing more gardens, which we can talk about too, we could eat more of that stuff raw and we should, but we should also be eating things like raw organs and stuff. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to eat raw anything meat wise from the grocery store. I don't trust the industry. It's usually old stuff. It's not fresh. You know, I would want to kill the animal and eat the organs immediately. Like the Eskimos do it, like the natives do it. Like many of these healthy populations that Weston Price looked at, that's what they do. Immediately on the kill, they eat the organs raw, warm from the animal, loaded with nutrients, loaded with enzymes, super healthy way to do it. Not cooking it at all. They're eating it raw. Many of them will cook some of the meat. Many of them will eat the meat raw. But when you're talking about the organs, they will eat the organs raw most of the time. What about fish? What about fish? Fish is another thing that can be done on a smaller scale. Fish farms right now is, you're talking about money. They get paid for quantity, not quality. Fish farming right now is disgusting. No, but I'm saying quality, man. Just quality, like quality. Like if for us. We can do this. You can do this in a backyard. You can do this in your backyard. The answer to the quality thing is just put less in each pen. That's it. Regular fish farms right now, I would never buy farmed fish because they stuff too many animals in too small of a space. And so the same problem with the cows and the pigs and feedlots, they're sick or chickens, you know, they're sick. You stuff them together, they're sick. They don't have enough room. They are living in their own waste. They need antibiotics and other stuff. So the very easy solution is to put less fish in each barrel or to have a little pond in your backyard. This is one of my personal goals in life is to have a place where I can have a little trout pond in my backyard. Many people up north have their own trout pond. And then you and I talked about ions, you know, on the last episode we did together. I like to have a big pump and a big fountain coming out, spraying up 20 feet in the air from my trout pond, which gives me negative ions too. So I can sit around it and relax, but also have, have the fish there and have some other small animals that you can eat in that pond, such as frogs. Frogs is a good, good one. Um, you can grow clams and mussels if it's salt water. Trout is a lot easier to keep than salmon, by the way. And of course, everyone's doing tilapia now because it's one of the easiest fish. I wouldn't maybe maybe if like looking at this is sort this is really nasty. Like this is all environment, like cows, whatever, uh, goats, chickens, fish. Like if they diversified and sent this out to many people to produce this, but there would be a huge standard to the quality of food. I think that would be a lot better because this is nasty. Like those fish are on top of fish. Like look at those pictures. Like that's the same with the cows too, right? Oh yeah, they're totally crammed in. Like if we demand this, they have to do it, right? Like screw the cost. Like we're all all overpaying for food regardless. But like send the work out to many, many, many corporations, not just a few individuals that like, that's why they're doing that. They're like, well, if I can shove a thousand more fish in this one vault i can make x amount of more dollars you know what i mean like it's all about money so it has to be the standards for the way we produce food should change i picture this either you can do it yourself or you would have like you know in my small town for example there's only like seven thousand people in it It'd be pretty easy to have like two businesses that grow fish 
and you can literally see the quality just like you know we have trout farms that they charge you 20 bucks to go up and catch trout or whatever you, they're literal lakes they're little mini lakes man-made and there's not that many fish in them there's a lot but there's not that many i'm just saying you can see the quality you could stand there and smell the air if this if the air smells gross the farm is gross the fish farm is gross you can smell yeah. what smells rotten this is a very easy thing to tell so you can tell you could go up and see there's no reason why this couldn't be in a city as well you don't need massive space to grow fish just don't put that many fish in it to the point where they're crowded. Keep them healthy without antibiotics and stuff. And you could walk in. It could be inside of a business, inside of a building, and say, hey, yep, these are our fish. Okay, you'd like a fish? Okay, boom, they catch one right there for you, just like they do in high-end seafood restaurants, right? Oh, you want that lobster? Okay, they take that lobster right out, and they, they boil it right there in front of you. I would picture that the same thing, like, say, a, a, a store that sold guinea pig meat. There's no reason why you couldn't pick the pig right there bam i want that one you know and then they slaughter it in the back or whatever and i know a lot of people yeah, don't want to see this they want to put this out of their mind but like you're, you're participating in the killing of animals either way i think the killing should be done closer to the time when you're eating it fast as possible and if you could buy the animal alive that would be optimal as well and if there's so much waste too right there's a lot of waste of food too right like no one eats everything like you got to see the amount of food that we buy to the amount that we waste, right? Well, the interesting thing is that a lot of waste products from the slaughterhouse industry goes into pet foods, the blood and bone meal and, and organs. You know, a lot of people say, oh, oh, but they're feeding dog foods full of like waste products from animals, Whatever. like the ears and the snouts and stuff. Yeah, but that's where you get a lot of these extra nutrients from yes. the connective tissue, from the organs, from the blood, <laughs> especially. You can't buy blood. Go, Good luck. Go try and buy blood somewhere. They usually sell it to pet foods because pet foods by law have to have more nutrients in it. So, yeah, there is lots of waste in it in the in the animal industry. But actually, there's not that much because a lot of that so-called waste is not waste at all. And it goes into pet foods because they have to have a certain nutrient intake uh, by law that can't be a pet food. So we could use a lot of that. We could use the blood. We could use the organs. That sounds gross to people. Well, my favorite dish ever is blood stew. It's a dinaguan, Filipino dish, dinaguan. Luke, you've had it. I made you try it. Yeah, it's good. It's really good. I like it. Where they cook the meat in the blood. And yeah, it's one yeah. of the most nutrient-dense foods ever. And it'll blow your mind if you've never had it. It feels like your brain is being massaged because it's so nutritious. So yeah. There doesn't have to be this waste. We could very easily use entire animals, especially if we use smaller animals. We've got a big pitch here. This is a big part of what I think we could do. You could do this in an apartment. Oh, you don't want to slaughter your own animals? Well, I would say for a lot of people, get over it. This is one of the ways that we take control from the food system. Do it yourself. Use yeah, but right, people don't have as much time as you think, buddy. Like, like I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have time to do all this. Maybe you would have more time if you didn't have to work so hard to buy the food from the grocery store Correct. because Correct. it's so expensive. I do, I do agree with you, but most people, like especially in U.S. and Canada. And even China, wherever, like where it's a fast paced lifestyle, we live in the Western hemisphere, like we're all moving. The only time we have is maybe one day a week, your time spent. We live in a world where you're always working. So I I get what you're saying, but I think that if we could maybe demand this from the people supplying our food and say, okay, well, if you're not going to, if you're not going to operate this way, we're not going to be a part of this. Well, we could also support small businesses and people can create businesses where they do things like breed guinea pigs and stuff. I just looked up the cost of a guinea pig. It said between 25 and $50. Yeah. 
well, as prices must have skyrocketed since my time in the pet business a lifetime ago. But they were usually around ten bucks for a guinea pig. And yeah, they were gonna shoot us right now talking about eating guinea pigs. Yeah, well, too bad, man. Goats are cute too. You know, you eat steak or whatever. I know there'll be like people who don't eat animals at all for this reason, but these are the most nutritious foods, whether seafoods or small animals or big animals when you eat the entire animal. So Something needs to be done, and you can't keep cows in the city. You couldn't have a small farm in the middle of a city with cows and goats. You could have it with guinea pigs and rabbits and other similar animals, but I wouldn't want to eat all types of rodents or anything. And uh, uh, rabbits are not rodents. They're, they're lagomorphs, which are similar. Either way, this could be done on a very small scale and for quite cheaply. Yeah, I know they do need uh, lots of bedding, it's saying this year. that could cost like five to $800 a year to keep one guinea pig. I think that's an overshoot. But yeah, they do need bedding. You could do that yourself. You don't need to buy the commercial bedding and whatever. They're, they are quite cheap to actually have. They breed like crazy, especially if you eat them when they're young because they grow up quite quickly. You don't need to keep an animal alive for eight years to eat it. This would just be a very efficient way to do it. You don't have the time. That's fine. Small businesses could definitely do this. You could absolutely definitely do this. And it would cost less overall. Now, remember that the beef industry is subsidized by the government, American government, especially. I don't know how it is in Canada, but the government subsidizes many of the worst foods. They subsidize beer. They subsidize corn. You know, they subsidize sugar. So that's part of the reason why it is so cheap. It's artificially cheap for a lot of these ingredients. Same with beef. Beef prices have gone up big time, but they're kept in check because of subsidies. And that's a problem. You know, subsidies are a problem because it relies on big government and big government is a big part of the problem itself here. So it's a self-justifying, self-perpetuating system. And if we switch to smaller animals, it would be more cost effective. It would be more transport effective, would be more nutrient effective. And there's more than just these uh, mammals here. We mentioned some other ones. There's this so article here. Rabbit, fish, you can eat frogs. Well, yeah, talk about fish too. Okay, so when I lived in uh, Denmark, I lived with some Lithuanian guys and they would always go out fishing. And I had never seen this before because in Canada, you know, if you buy fish, you buy a fillet of fish. You don't even see the fish. It just looks like a piece of meat and you cook that meat. When they would come home fishing, they would have the guts taken out and that's it. They would throw the whole thing on the frying pan and eat the whole thing. And I'm sitting there like, what 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 about the bones? Like, you you eat the bones. <laughs> you know, you, I don't know how to do their accent. You just eat the bones. <laughs> what do you, but there's an eye. You eat the eye. Yeah, you eat the whole thing. You know, you, you eat the here's the liver, pull the liver out, eat the liver. They just threw the whole fish on the frying pan and ate the entire fish. Skin, scales, bones, everything. And it blew my mind. But it is the most nutrient-dense way to do it. Eat the whole animal. Take the guts out. Eat the whole animal. You don't need to cut it into fillets. Don't need to remove the bones. You got to be careful not to eat the bones intact. You know, don't wolf it down. Take your time. Enjoy the meal. Eat the bones. Break them up with your teeth. You know, you're getting more minerals, more nutrients anyways. And yes, fish farming can be done on a small scale. It's done all the time at a small scale. It just needs to be done locally to be the most efficient or they won't make that much money because they'll have to pay transport fees. And it would be optimal if you could just walk up and say, yeah, man, I want a fresh fish. Boom, they catch a fish right there. Yeah, well, everyone now is spoiled, Ryan. So, like, <clears throat> like honestly, I'm going to say, like, I do agree with you 100% of what you're saying. But in to our next topic, if you want to go, there's political change and what rules and regulations we have for food. 
that has to change because I believe that, yeah, individuals like us will take this seriously, but we have like all these slaughterhouses, all this food, the way everything's grown is so fast. Like there has to be more rules involved. It can't just be whatever. I get that we could do it ourselves, but like, can we have like a little bit more structure and rules to how we produce things? And if we demand that, I think that's going to change because not everybody lives in a place where they have time to do all this, like grow their own food, like have their own state of cages full of small animals. Right. So this is a business solution. It's not a government solution. So this is, I I completely hundred percent disagree with having rules in place because government rules inevitably are bad for us. And what could happen is small businesses take over and they tell the market, Hey, this is how we do it. Hey, we have these guinea pigs, these rabbits, we treat them good. You come in, you pick a rabbit or, you know, they slaughter them right in the morning. You get fresh. It's just a little butchery. Instead of having meat delivered from the country, they just have their own meat. This could even be a part of the grocery store. There are many grocery stores. I understand that, but that's not cost effective, right? Then you're you're involving more labor, right? So that's why it's all about money. There's going to be labor involved. Like I'm not saying for the current situations we live in, what do you think that we could do right now that would just snowball effect to have that change and change the way that we want our food, process our food, eat our food. I think it starts with us, but how we like, I I, I don't even know what to do at this point. Like the only way that I'm going to be able to do what we talked about is that when I could have some more financial freedom where I could actually have the time and I would love to grow my own food and have my own stuff that I could slaughter and eat that day fully agree with you on this but that would require more of my time for sure and you and i don't buy the cheapest food to begin with anyways no and both you and i have wives that don't work and traditionally in these places that live a long time who do you think would be doing most of this work right yeah men would be doing a lot of the the farm work but the women would be carving up the animals and milking the goats and stuff i mean men and women would share these duties but but we but we're fortunate enough that we have this. I'm not saying like I'm super grateful, but a lot of people don't have that option. So I'm just sort of throwing it out there. Like, well, it's good. You're being devil's advocate too. We're not we're not yes men here. I know. What can we do in our personal lives? What I'm personally doing more of hunting, fishing, and I I am going to do this. I still spend half of my time in two countries, and it's very hard to we we can't have any pets basically because of this, and. In the future, when I am stable in one country, I do want to actually have my own guinea pigs and rabbits and stuff like that. None of these longest of populations are vegan. They do eat lots of vegetables and stuff, but none of them are vegan. And to have a more sustainable world, I think the killing needs to be done closer to the plate. And you might not be comfortable with that, but hey, this is the cycle of life here. And and when we do it ourselves, we ensure that it's done respectfully and quickly. It sounds barbaric to people because people don't understand because we live in a we live in a very pampered lifestyle, right? So they don't actually have to do this anymore. If this was a hundred years ago, people would be more susceptible to this. You understand that? Like people don't understand, and then everyone has feelings and everyone's sensitive. Absolutely. And I don't think the average person wants to accept how brutal the slaughterhouse conditions are, how poorly those animals are treated. This is literally why I went vegetarian in the first place. It absolutely disgusted me. And I had a problem with corn too at the same time the food ink thing got me onto corn corn being a problem okay i want to lessen my corn okay then i gotta stop eating meat because meat is mostly fed corn but yeah the slaughterhouse conditions are very bad 
um, in a prior generation, you know, our parents' parents, basically, they could expect to work at a car factory or a, a slaughterhouse and make good money and, you know, feed their family basically on that income. Unions were big and all this stuff. Well, what's happened in the last several decades is that the worker pay has gone down big time. So now the slaughterhouse industry is mostly using low income earners. So people who are not being paid very much, they're not being paid enough to care. Basically, they're not unionized. The conditions are still horrific in most slaughterhouses, not all of them, but most of them. It still is a big, big problem. So not only are we paying someone else to do the killing, but we're paying them to do it in disgusting conditions for the most part. And for a lot of these people, they're not paid enough to care. They're kicking the chickens and they're, you know, they're beating up the animals and the animals are traumatized before they go in. They're, they're herded in and these animals, they're not dumb. A cow's not dumb. It knows what's happening and they're in terrible fear. So and this is also now pumping adrenaline through them, which kind of pollutes their meat a little bit as well. So I'm just saying when it's done swiftly, respectfully, and not in a slaughterhouse condition, then I'm saying the quality of the meat is actually better. The quality of the, the food is actually better. And the moral implications are better to me because I don't feel good about paying a slaughterhouse to do barbaric style killing of these animals. I would much rather whack it on the head myself. And they have to be trucked to the slaughterhouse too, right? So they're on trucks. They're they're not having a good time on those trucks, especially in the summertime. You know, it's just, it's a horrific experience for the animal if you put yourself in their shoes. And if we're using smaller animals, this whole thing is a lot easier and a lot less immoral to me. And I know we've gone long here on food. My goodness, I didn't mean to. Snails is another one. Snails are easy to keep. They eat anything you put in it. They create compost for you. Basically, they create soil for you. Snails are a delicacy if you've never had them. I'm looking at an article here that says 11 gross animals you can eat in a survival situation. Well, people pay good money for escargot. So I'm not putting that as a gross animal. And it's a very, very, very easy animal uh, to keep. And there's other small animals, but let's move on. My point is small animals, I think, is a big part of our solution here. Did you want to go to all the topics that we talked about today? Do you want to make this into two podcasts? I think we're going to have to make it into two podcasts because we went so like, long. Unfortunately, like we just like we just hit the the first topic, and it looks like we have like ten here. Yeah. Did you want to touch base with some um, raw materials while we're on the food topic? Well, raw materials. It's just a scam that we are running out of raw materials or whatever. People say that you know scarcity and all this stuff. That that's a myth. It's always been a myth. So the point of writing down raw materials is that we have more than enough raw materials to do this right now. Concrete is never going to run out. The raw materials for concrete. Oil scarcity was always a scam. That's a topic for another day, but oil is the blood of the earth. It's abundant. It's not made from dead dinosaurs or whatever. For decades, they've been saying, oh, the end of oil is coming or the peak oil is coming. Meanwhile, the wells keep refilling and we keep finding more and more and more we have more deposits now than we ever did, and it's not projected to run out, definitely not anytime soon. And I would say it's never going to run out because it's a renewable resource. It's the blood of the earth. It will get refilled up. So it's always a myth that we have scarcity. What raw materials do you think, Luke? Because let's tie this into water. I already mentioned that I think we should build our societies near water. 
what raw materials do you think that we would need to have a more efficient water system since you are a commercial plumber by trade? We live in Canada, so we're pretty lucky. So we're around freshwater lakes. But I think that's only like 3% of um, freshwater around the world. Or I think it's like 3 or 5%. Freshwater is key. Like, I don't even believe in drinking city water. I think it's absolutely disgusting. I think you should have your own isolated well water that's treated, tested, and consumed by us. The water that that is is treated before it comes to our source where we drink is absolutely gross. Now, I understand why they do it because, once again, has to do with money. So if we hyperchlorinate the line to clean all the bacteria out, they can say, well, the water didn't kill you because we made sure that there was no contaminants in there. But personally, me, I'll never drink city water ever again. Like even every year that goes by, it just smells like more and more chemicals. It's gross. I don't even know how they treat the water. I don't know if they recycle it. They pull it from like, I don't know where they dump it, what they do with it. If it were me, I'd be on well water and my own, I would even just treating the water that comes to your house. I don't think it's good enough. It's not well good water, enough because, because of the they, pharmaceutical residue and stuff in the, in the water supply. Yeah, it's, just, it's gross. Like you need to be, have groundwater and there's not even a lot of groundwater source either. Like the next big thing that I believe that will shift the whole world is fresh water. Unless we can somehow convert salt water to fresh water which i believe there will be a way because there's so much of it it's like 95 percent. we do have a way it's just very energy intensive but a better way that's not energy intensive i would live like the quarthas are bedrock right i would love to live there all that groundwater is being filtered as long as you're not around contaminants or pollution that's going into that well and it's treated properly um that's where i would want to be getting my fresh water from i think we should live around water obviously the vast majority of the world's population already lives around the coast and we're gonna have to talk about energy on the next uh episode here but if we utilized good sources of energy i'm talking about big sources of energy like nuclear power i disagree with the grid in general i think the grid's a scam we should be allowed to produce our own electricity at the house that's we'll save that for the next time because there's some uh, conspiracies involved there as well on the types of devices we could use. We don't have to think just solar and wind and whatever. There are other types of devices. But if we were to use large-scale energy production, like nuclear or coal or gas or whatever, I think we can afford to use a lot of that to desalinate water. It's just energy intensive, once again. Turn salt water into fresh water. So... What kind of energy are you talking about to take the salt out of the fresh water? It's basically distilling it. So you need to boil it and condense it. Think of a coffee machine. It boils the water, steam goes up, and then it lands on a condensing plate. And then it drips through your coffee, the coffee machine. Yeah. Desalination is basically that on a larger scale. So you just need to supply the heat, right? Nuclear power is basically the, the most expensive way to boil water, but it boils a lot of water. And that's what spins a turbine. The steam pushes through a turbine that generates the electricity and it generates a ton of electricity. Nuclear is you know, one of the most effective ways to actually generate large scale electricity. Wind and solar has never been effective. It only existed in the first place because of government subsidies. And much of that was a scam. Many of those businesses closed up. Like here in Texas, they put billions of dollars into creating wind farms and a lot of them just closed up after the subsidy ran out. 
And now we have a grid that's very unreliable. Yesterday, we had a power outage for like three hours. And I'm sitting here thinking, this is the energy capital of, of America here. This is the oil capital of America. How do we have such frequent power outages down here? It's because they messed the grid up by p- plugging it into wind and solar farms that are extremely inefficient. Well, nuclear is not inefficient. It's very efficient. It is it's unlimited power. It's unlimited. Pretty much. And that type of power could be used to desalinate or otherwise purify water. The way that we do it now, municipal water is mostly through filtration. And like you said, chlorination, we add chemicals to it and we filter it as much as possible. But that's never going to get 100% of stuff out. Even reverse osmosis doesn't get 100% of stuff out. Distilling does. So if we use the power to create big distillers, that would be a way that we could replace these big filtration systems. It would not be cheaper. It wouldn't be. It would be more energy intensive, but it would be the way to get clean water. And I do agree so, that we should go to well water, but I would still filter my well water. And so, I live- yeah, of course, you have to filter. You need a, you need a three stage filler, sediment, another filter, add minerals back to the water. You RO it and then add your own stuff to it. Yeah, which I do at my house as well. And I don't know if we could all be on well water. If you had city water, if we were to distill it, do you think we could get rid of all the stuff and then maybe add a mineral filter to the end? Yes. Boil it and condense it. Yeah. like That would probably be the best way if you could create a system for every home that could boil the water and then add minerals to the water and almost like you'd have your own uh, water storage tank in your house. As long as it's moving, it can't be like sitting there stagnant because that's not good for you either. I agree. And we're going to have to go more into that in, in the next episode, but... I should know more too as a plumber. I just install the pipes, provide sanitation. That's it. Well, you would know that the pipes are usually disgusting as well. This is a big problem. We think we have clean water. We just, we don't, not just the filtration, but how we actually pump it to the houses. Yeah. Like all the plastic and stuff don't agree with. I do agree with the copper pipes though. I would believe that would be the cleanest source of providing water, but now they're even getting rid of that and everything's going plastic. Problem with copper pipes is you can get copper toxicity. I know copper is an essential nutrient, but when you use copper pipes, copper cookware, copper cups, it's putting metallic copper, not plant-derived copper, and you can get copper toxicity. It's a real thing. I I, I believe it, and I, like maybe even stainless steel, but then you're looking at a huge cost. So the less pipes, the better, to me, is one of the answers here. The less pipes, the better. You want to filter it as close to the use as possible. You want as little pipe between the filter and you as possible. By the time it's filtered and treated and brought to the source of where you're going to have it, you could be 50 kilometers away from that. You know what I mean? So how many pipes does it pass through that are filled with all, like, you don't know what's in it. Like, it's nasty. It is nasty. Okay, here's one thing I was thinking. Instead of putting our wastewater back into the water system and then having to filter that, which is a problem, especially for things like pharmaceutical residue, right? Like people who use pharmaceutical drugs or any drugs that there's drug residue, there's hormone residue in your urine, in your feces and in your wastewater. So if that goes back in, that's very, very difficult to, you can't, you can't filter it out. The only way that you can get hundred percent of it out is by distilling it, which is massively energy intensive. So I was thinking that one of the solutions on a large scale here is more like septic systems. And I know this isn't going to work well for cities, but I think cities are a bad idea. We should never have had millions of people crammed into a small area. We should spread out more. And we can talk about that on the next one, the next episode as well. But if we were on a septic system, right, you bring your water in, you filter your water as well, if optimally, 
and then the waste is separated. Waste is separated out into a tank. And that actually now is a source of fertilizer as well. And maybe not if maybe we don't want to use that if it's got pharmaceutical residue in it and stuff. But I'm just saying it doesn't go back into the system because going back into the system makes it just very, very difficult to filter out. Our town uses a lake. There's a lake reservoir beside our town. And the wastewater, I believe, does go back into it. But since it's a lake and like you said earlier, the Kawarthas, most listeners won't know where that is, but it's a it's a rocky place. We have this thing called the Canadian Shield. It's a big, gigantic rock. It's like most of our province of Ontario. And then it dips down into New York. And on the other side, it dips down into uh, uh, Wisconsin, I think. And it's huge. It's just this massive, porous rock. And that's where I live. And so I do think that that filters it quite a bit as well. And the lake, basically our lake reservoir, it doesn't smell like waste. It doesn't smell like a city sewer treatment plant. It smells like a lake. It looks like a lake. It acts like a lake. And the lake itself, the bio, the fish, all the stuff in it and the rocks that it has to travel through all this, it does actually filter it. Does it get 100% out of it? No, I bet if you tested that water, it would have pharmaceutical residue in the lake. It's not a massive, massive lake. It's just enough for our small town. So I'm just saying that separating out the waste, not putting it back into the system would, in my mind, be a way to do it optimally. The waste should never even be recycled. It should just go to one place where it can filter through and that's it. The the fresh water should be completely separate from the waste. Should not even be connected at all. I don't know whoever thought of that idea. Terrible like idea. It's just, it's, it's just disgusting. Now, I do agree with you with the septic system, but that has to be watched too. There has to be a standard on that. There's many of septics that are broke and leach through everything and somehow get to your fresh waterways. That's also not good too. Um, that can contaminate your water. I think the biggest next big crisis in the 100 years will be the water, unless they figure something out. I think the food thing is a little bit easier to address than these infrastructure type things like clean water and, and what we do about energy and what do we do about cities? What do we do about transportation? Let me throw one more in here while we're here. We were talking about trucks earlier and how we have to truck food from the country into the city. Well, a big part of the reason why our roads suck, they suck a lot in North America and Canada and America, because trucks, the heavier something is, the more it beats up the roads. And so any roads that we use trucks on, and we rely on trucks for our society right now, you know, these trucks, especially all the ones bringing animals to slaughterhouses and bringing food into the cities are huge trucks. They weigh a lot. They beat up the road. So we have to spend so much money on infrastructure largely for the trucking industry. So the more that we can produce closer to home, the better. Food can be produced in cities and around cities much more efficiently and in homes as well. So we don't have to do any transportation at all. And this just takes less pressure off of our roads. And this is less money that we have to put into our roads, which is a huge thing. It's a huge cost. And there's even more to say on producing your own food at home. We didn't even get into gardens and stuff. So we'll do that next time. Is there any other things that you wanted to add before we pop out here? This is going to take a few podcasts to complete this. And I did enjoy I did enjoy my talk with you. I appreciate everyone listening. It's always a good time. And I will uh, talk to you soon. Thank you, Luke. And yeah, this will take quite a long discussion here. But people are dying for this, though. People want to know how do we make a better world? And we're not experts here. Luke and I, we never claim to be experts here. We're just having a discussion. And many people have asked for this discussion, actually. They ask me all the time, why do you think we fix 
the, the food problem and all this stuff. Like you said, Luke, a lot of people in the DMs and stuff, they want to know what they can eat to be healthy. We need to tell them they need supplements. Well, there's a lot of these things that need to go in to us figuring out how to be healthy as a society, not just as individuals. And the more we do it on a larger scale, I think that, you know, you get more cost efficiency involved as well. More businesses that are doing these things, taking them to account and so on. So, yeah, it is a long discussion. It's one that needs to be had. And I appreciate you, Luke, and I appreciate everybody else. Those who are listening on the archive version on notusbooks.org, remember there's a special treat for you at the end. And for everybody else, God bless. We'll see you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.